DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you once again for joining me. Well, it is a beautiful gift to be with you, and I, I want to thank you for making this time and for this conversation. I'm really looking forward to where this is going to go. Well, let's talk about where we're going. We're going inside the interior castle or the mansions. How do we begin this journey? Well, Teresa Vavala may be explaining the, the prayerful experience that started all of this. She refers to this in her very first chapter of the first dwelling places. And we have second person accounts that also describe this grace that they heard her talk about this more than once. So she wrote it down, but she talked about it with other people too. And and the grace was something like this. She saw a beautiful crystal that shone in the darkness. It was bright, luminous, and its splendor drew her. And she began to realize this beautiful crystal was actually like a castle with all kinds of different rooms and chambers all through it, chambers on the outside of it and chambers on the inside of it. In the very center of this luminous castle was this chamber filled with light, and the light shone through the whole crystal and shone out into the darkness. She realized that you could draw closer as you proceeded through the different chambers and rooms, dwelling places of the castle, you could draw closer and closer to the light. And as you drew closer to the light, the light became brighter and brighter, not only because you were closer yourself to the light, but somehow the light, as you drew closer, was able to shine through the crystal even brighter than it was because of where you were in relation to the light. Your relation to the light allows the light to shine more brightly, was part of her vision. And then as she was seeing this, she saw something very terrible. She saw that when, likewise, just as when you drew closer, the light became brighter, as you drew further away from the light, if you went outside the castle, you were vulnerable to all kinds of vile creatures and evil things that could bite you, poison you, and kill you. And if you got poisoned and killed, not only were you outside the castle and sick, but the the whole crystal became dark. The light went from the crystal. And when it went from the crystal, it's not simply the light went out and it became dark because there was no light in it, but it became, she doesn't use this word, but today we'd talk about a black hole, something that sucks light out, so that's darker than dark. And she realized with this vision the incredible drama that the human person confronts 
in the life of prayer, that we are not spectators to this drama on the outside of it, kind of looking in, but each one of us is caught up in that. When we go deeper into our relationship with the light, because God is light, and when we draw closer to this light, living our lives in transparency, living our lives, working against the power of sin in us, trying to free ourselves from habitual sins and serious sins, going to confession frequently, doing penance, uh, so that we're living an upright life that is drawing close to God. As we also, as we draw close to him in prayer, as we hold up the discipline of prayer and we don't neglect prayer, but we approach God and we approach him rightly. We approach him with a, a loving disposition of humility and, and obedience. When we do this, we, as we draw closer to him, the drama that we're part of not only allows God to save us and make us whole and preserve us from evil, but his light coming through us is actually good for the whole world around us. It actually is part of the salvation of the whole cosmos, of all our brothers and sisters. It gives them hope. It helps them draw inside. It helps them be attracted to the light as well. And likewise, though, when we neglect the light, when we live sinful lives and intentionally don't work against sin, when we tell ourselves that we're not sinful, that we don't really need to do penance or go to confession or live a disciplined life because we're pretty good people and we don't really need God for that. When we lie to ourselves like that, we live in darkness. And when we live in that darkness, we open ourselves up to getting bit, to getting poisoned by very vile and evil creatures. And a light goes out from the universe. And not only does the light go out from our hearts, we become a black hole. We end up sucking hope out of the world the battle that we're part of. It's the battle that she begins with. It's the grace of prayer that she had. And so this whole work begins with wondering over the beauty of the soul, over its magnificence and its greatness. The deepest truth of the human person, of man and woman, is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And because we're in his image and likeness, we're beautiful to behold. The more like him we are, the more we are filled with his light, the more captivating and dynamic we are in the world. And she begins her journey in prayer in just the wonder over that, over these magnificent capacities, these marvelous capacities to be filled with life and light and love. It is such a beautiful imagery that she speaks of. It is at the essence of what transcendence is defined as. And in, and in our world today, do we even understand what transcendence is? Well, that's curiously part of her own spiritual journey was awareness of the transcendence of God. But her journey kind of is an echo of the journey of St. Augustine, who even more in his time was like our time in terms of we tend to suppose our prejudice is that everything is material, even spiritual things are material. The idea of God kind of being close to us, us being familiar with God, is something that we take for granted, but we have a hard time getting in touch with the otherness of God. Here we are in seeing that we're in the image and likeness of God. What fills us with wonder, what fills Teresa with wonder is 
that we creatures though we are somehow reflect him who is totally other. She lets that tension between what is created and what is not created kind of be built up in our soul as we begin to read this because somehow by entering into that paradox that the human person is of themselves a mystery. We do not understand who we are. We reflect something so totally other than who we are as creatures, so totally beyond the limits of our creatureliness. And yet this other being who is God has chosen the limits of our creatureliness, our particularity, to make himself known, to, sh- to make known his splendor and greatness. And that's a paradox. It's, and, uh, and prayer begins um, uh, with wonder over this paradox, that I really don't know who I am. I really don't know who God is. I know that God is totally other than me, and yet I'm created in such wise that I'm made to reflect him. I'm made to praise him. I'm made, I'm made to make him known. I'm made in his image and likeness. The, the tension of that, if uh, those who are listening to this right now are caught by that paradox of uh, the wonder of it, you've already begun to enter into the, 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 the horizon, the vision that Teresa is trying to show us when she talks about this beautiful crystal castle, which is the soul. Yeah, it is. Uh, again, she is so practical that she even anticipates some of the, the questions that we might have in looking at the soul as a castle that we have to enter. I think she even says in that first chapter that it appears incongruous that if this castle is the soul, clearly no one would have to enter it for it is the person himself. And that one might as well tell someone to go into a room he's already in. You know, so that's, I mean, she addresses that paradox, doesn't she? Yeah, but it's a curious problem because we are not in ourselves. We don't start out that way anyway. Uh, somehow we, we, we start out quite outside ourselves. And what does that mean practically? Or, uh, we're not really, we, we don't really know who we are. We don't really know what motivates us to do the things that we do. Sometimes after years of living, you get some kind of sense of some of your subliminal and unconscious movements of heart. But this is more than even subliminal, unconscious stuff. Once you figure it out, all if you go to years of psychotherapy, for example, you figure all of that out, you still haven't entered into your soul. You become familiar with the outside of your soul. Your psychology, even your unconscious psychology, is still on the surface of your being. You have deeper depths in you. And we don't know those deeper depths because we don't enter into the truth of who we are. The truth of who we are is something that we need to accept not accept from without as, it, as an exterior thing, intellectually assent to the fact that I'm in the image and likeness of God, this truth of the origins of who I am. You can intellectually accent, assent to that. Have we taken time to delight in it, to rest with that, to fully accept that? And what does that mean, to delight, to rest, and to fully accept that? Well, if I delight, I rest, and I fully accept that, that means um, I stop delighting in uh, things that are not worthy of me, that are beneath my dignity. Uh, the reason why we're outside ourselves is that we're attracted to things 
that are below us, that are not worthy of our dignity. And so those things have drawn us out to the periphery of our existence, where we grasp for things that are outside ourselves. Material things are kind of below us. Spiritual things, they're higher, they're more interior. And this means that we need to withdraw from exterior things to enter into spiritual things. We need to lift our eyes above the things of this world, the material, comfortable, convenient things that we like to have. And we need to raise them up to the things of heaven, to the things that are other than our creaturely existence, and learn to desire those things because those are the things that are in our hearts. So we start outside ourselves, and prayer is part of the journey back in. The word she uses for our interiority where God dwells with us is paradise. Paradise is important. Paradise is where Adam and Eve originally walked with God. Adam and Eve, who were in the image and likeness of God, in their image and likeness and their ability to reflect his glory in the world, actually walked with him in a beautiful garden. That beautiful garden, Teresa Avila is saying, and she said this already in her life, and she's repeating it. She's just making a brief reference to it in this very first chapter of that beautiful garden isn't something outside ourselves uh, that we need to go seek out in the world. What's out in the world, what's visible, tangible, convenient, comfortable, that draws the desires of our hearts for these kinds of things, that's beneath us. It's not, And by beneath us, I mean ultimately it's not enough for us. When we're drawn to those things, they're not going to make us happy in the end. We're going to feel empty, unsatisfied, like we need something more, but our life isn't meaningful, like it's empty. Rather, where do we find the things that do satisfy? Where do we find the things that quench the thirst of our heart? And those things are inside our heart already. God walks with us in the garden of our own hearts. He's there dwelling with us, setting things in order, making them beautiful. St. Augustine says, if you enter my heart, O God, I know, I, I know right now my heart is filthy, too filthy for you to come in, uh, and it's too small for you to dwell there. But if you will enter my heart, I know at once you can purify it and in purifying it, find it that you can expand it so that it's able to be a dwelling place for you, that you would be able to find your home in me. And Teresa of Avila is kind of saying the same thing here, that God has chosen to make his home right inside the soul. When he makes that decision, when he opts for us, that means he has the power to do something very beautiful there. In the beginning here, Teresa is trying to blow our minds, actually, so that when we go to pray, we're not locked into some assumptions about what we have. Interiorly, we think that there's nothing there. Uh, Our presumption is when it comes to prayer that we're lacking something. And so if we go there, we're going to be bored. If we go there, it's going to be tedious. And the reason why we think it's tedious is because we think we ourselves aren't a beautiful garden, a paradise where God dwells. We think that we ourselves are ugly. We think of ourselves as less than we are. To begin the life of prayer, 
you need to have a sense of your own greatness. There's somebody worth getting to know, that God is worth getting to know, and that getting to know yourself is also a beautiful thing. In fact, God delights in knowing you. That's why he dwells in your heart right now. But he can only know you, um, he can only have that delight of knowing you to the degree that you draw close to him. She begins with trying to help us see this mystery of who we are. To go back to your original question, Chris, if somebody was to say, how do I go inside myself if I already have possession of myself? And the answer is you don't have perfect possession of yourself and you're not inside yourself. You're caught up with a lot of other things. The journey inside is the realization that that's true. She, she speaks about wouldn't be ignorant for somebody if they didn't know who their parents were or where the country where they came from. If we want to know the country, our heavenly homeland, where we came from, our faith reveals to us the truth of who we are. We know by faith that we have a soul, and we've heard by faith that this soul is beautiful, that it has a great value. And part of the movement of prayer is to seek presence of God who manifests himself in the soul and reveals the soul's, our own soul's beauty to us so that we can know our heavenly homeland, the paradise that Adam and Eve knew. It involves the hard work of turning away from some things in our life. But when we turn away from from things that are beneath us, we make space to discover things that are above us, but to which we have been called. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. 
So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Yeah, there's a stunning line in that first chapter where she talks about, again, she alludes to something that she has learned, and so she's passing this on, but she says, I was recently told by a great theologian that souls without prayer are like bodies, palsied and lame, having hands and feet they cannot use. Just so, there are souls so infirm and accustomed to think of nothing but earthly matters that there seems no cure for them. And that really denotes the point that to enter into that first castle, Anthony, you have got to respond to that knocking at the door of our heart, literally. I mean, you've got to reach out in prayer. It begins there. It's true. We think if we spend just a little bit of time in prayer that we've entered this castle, we've only entered into the exterior courtrooms. And this part of her book, she's going to talk about those exterior courtrooms, that it's better to spend, to enter into the very threshold of the castle than to be outside it, that this is where our spiritual life begins, and it's good to make a a good beginning, a powerful thing. But the reality is, when we're only on the outskirts, when we don't go deeper, uh, when we, we just rest at the portals of our soul and don't go for this deeper beauty that's in us, we're sick. There's a lot of inner healing that is needed today. And I know that some people talk about ministries of praying over others or different gifts of healing and so forth. And they speak about interior healing and healing of memories and so forth. God bless those people who work with other people about the deep spiritual wounds they have. But the most healing thing we can do for the spiritual diseases that we carry is to go deep into prayer. Mm-hmm. because mental prayer is a source of healing. That castle, when we are outside it, there's a light in it, yes, but it's not very bright. And we're at risk. If we're sick, we're vulnerable to evil things that if they bite us, they will kill us. Then the whole thing crashes down. But you begin to go in, and that light shines brighter because the whole castle becomes more healthy. The palsy goes away. It, it can be healed. Jesus cured the person with a withered hand, made lame people and paralytics stand up. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He raised the dead. And if we will draw close to him, he will heal us too. That's the power of mental prayer. It is immensely healing for our lives. And so this journey is about coming to know yourself, this mystery of who you are, these magnificent capacities that you have. It's about entering into intimacy with the Lord, entering into a deeper friendship with him so that he can show you the truth of who you are, so that he can show you how beautiful he has fashioned you to be, 
so that you can walk with him through this wonderful garden that he's fashioned within you. It's also about him healing you, making you whole. Right now, without prayer, we don't thrive, right? Without prayer, we're held back. Without prayer, our souls are sick. We're living half lives. But when we turn back to prayer, when we turn back to him, when we walk with the Lord in the garden of paradise that's in our heart, when we let him show us the splendors and the goodness and the capacities that are there, when we allow him to draw us closer and closer to him so that his brightness can shine through us and we become healthy, a spiritually healthy, spiritually alive, then the glory of God shines through us in a way we could never imagine. It changes everything around us. We live half-lives because we do not pray, but if we pray and he makes us whole, we become his disciples in a whole new way. His life, his, his strength, his love shines through us in ways that we couldn't imagine. We live life to the full. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he came to give us life and to give us life to the full. And that fullness of life that he's given us to have, that he wants us to know, we receive it to the degree that we draw close to him, intimately with him. To the degree that we leave the darkness of our lives, we leave the duplicity, we let go of bad habits and evil sin and turn towards the light and and struggle to do virtue and to love and, and to draw close to God and to be authentic and to be transparent with him. When we do that, there is immense healing. You broke open so beautifully what I think Teresa is saying, isn't she, in that first chapter towards the close, where she's like, okay, now why would you want to stay in the basement of the castle? There's a lot of creepy, icky, reptile-y things, and it will only disturb your peace, and you won't be able to see the beauty of, of the building because you're in the basement. Why wouldn't you want to go on? and keep moving. It's good that you're there, you're in, but keep moving. Yeah. If uh, on a very practical level, if somebody was to ask, well, okay, how do I get into this castle? How do I go into the deeper parts of it? Prayer has the form of a conversation for Teresa Vavila. Like every good conversation, you need to pay attention to several things. Otherwise, Prayer isn't going to get you very far into this castle, and you'll always be on the outside. So how do you get in? And she speaks about this. She says that you need to be aware of who you're speaking to, what you're asking, who you are to be asking it. If you're not aware of who you are, who you're speaking to, or what you're asking, you're not really praying. She actually gives an example of a very sad kind of prayer but one that I think we often approach God with, and that is we're really anxious about something that we know we need. Instead of humbly going to God, the Almighty, who is totally other than us, with out of humility and obedience, with the desire to love and to know him, we go to him as if somehow he is our slave. Mm. Instead of approaching him as our king, we make demands of him as if he is our servant. And Teresa of Avila, she says, that is not Christian prayer. Christian prayer humbles itself before a love that we do not deserve. It does not make demands. Christian prayer is filled with reverence and awe and compunction, 
a sense that we've broken uh, and betrayed the one that we love the most, and yet he's called us anyway. We're like St. Peter standing on the, on the shore and Jesus asking us, do you love me more than these? And when you hear those words, the whole time Peter hears those words, he's aware each of the three times he's asked of the three times that he's denied Jesus. He knows he's not worthy to be there, and yet he knows even more than what he's done, Jesus loves him anyway. And it's for that reason that he has the courage to stand on that shore and humbly plead with the Lord, yes, you know that I love you. This is our task too. We must discover our truth before the Lord, the truth of who we are and what we've done, and the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. And when we see those two things and we see what he's done for us, we see that the failures and the grave mistakes and errors that we've made, the bad judgments in our hearts, our inadequacies and our voids, these are not what define who we are. What defines who we are is the immensity of his love, not a love that we force, demand, manipulate, but a love that invites us and before which we are humbled. If that is the the disposition of somebody who begins to enter deep into the spiritual castle. Well, Anthony, we've just begun to enter into that mansion, um, the first mansion in chapter one. When we In our next episode, we'll take a look at chapter two, which breaks open all the different types of little creatures and different types of things that can assail us either by the world or even our own choices. We talk, we're going to talk about the disorder of mortal sin and so many other things. But until we get to that chapter, any final thoughts? Oh, this is a great adventure. And for those of you for whom this is your first exposure to Teresa of Avila, you are in for a treat because this is her great masterpiece. And I hope that as we go through that uh, you'll not only listen to these recordings, but you'll actually read her and let her speak to you and that you'll make a good spiritual friend with somebody who can take you deep into intimacy with Jesus. Anthony, on that note, if you think it's a good idea, do you think we should on discerninghearts.com also put an audio chapter of each of the chapters that we go through so that they can either before or after they listen to us, or maybe both, they can take time to kind of just let that seep in. I think that's a great idea. Okay. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.